isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, calls for railroad safety regulations are getting louder after another Norfolk Southern train derailed here in Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania might finally have an argument to move up our almost meaningless presidential primary. And earlier this week, we talked about an outside candidate for police chief. Today, we're talking about the local boys. It's the Friday News Roundup, April 14th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with CityCast's Mallory Falk and Francesca DeBecco. Thank you both for trusting me last night that the Pens would, in fact, not be going to the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. Well, of course they wouldn't. It's the <laughs> robo-penguin. The <laughs> robo-what? Wait, what? <laughs> the robo-penguin uh, jersey. It's apparently cursed, and they brought it back this year. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Wait, the, the uh, what is it, that logo, the triangle one with the lines? Is that it? Yeah. It's like a new jersey design? Or an old one, I guess. Yeah, it was the jersey design from my youth. Uh, Megan, you weren't here in the fall when we talked about this. It's from the 92 to 93 season, and it's really angular. Some people say it looks like a pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) And for a lot of people, it's really nostalgic. Nostalgic, but allegedly cursed? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sid Crosby is apparently really superstitious, so I'm sure this has not helped him at all. Yeah, the athletic reporter Rob Rossi wrote a whole thing about it in the fall and how we better be leaving our curse behind this time. Oh, Rob, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess he and the other beat writers at least get a slightly longer offseason. Does that count as a silver lining? Yeah, just in time for spring. Sorry for the penguins, but happy for our colleagues out there. So let's jump into our topics today. Uh, Earlier in the week, I talked to CityCast Boise's Frankie Barnhill about one of the three finalists to be Pittsburgh's new police chief. Um, That one's name is Ryan Lee. He was most recently Boise's police chief after a 20-year career in Portland, but he was asked to resign after a string of issues from 2020 to 2022. Um, So if you missed that episode, here is Frankie. So the big thing that happened that really spurred on and accelerated the fact that he actually uh, was asked to resign by our mayor was that in October 2021, he was doing a training. It was some kind of like morning meeting with uh, a group of officers. And at one point, he he called a sergeant up to the front and uh, and did not warn him, according to a tort claim that came later, um, that he put him in a uh, neck restraint um, and to demonstrate a neck restraint. Uh, now you're like was, holding your hands around your neck. So you basically mean like, like, yeah, like yes, physical combat yes, style. Something. Yes, yes, exactly. And what was interesting is, um, you know, neck restraints were uh, banned after George Floyd in Boise. Um, that was one of the reactions that our police department had. So he was doing another like a sleeper hold, basically. Um, well, 
that was really that spurred on a lot of uh, a lot of issues because um, as in the claim it said he put one hand on his forehead and pulled his head back and down was how it was referenced. Um, this officer, this this sergeant, um, alleged that he broke his neck. Um, oh man! Yeah. So an HR investigation ensued. Uh, later, there was a tort claim that was filed. Did y'all know about that in Boise in real time? No, it was kind of a slow trickle of information, and that's gotcha. when we're talking about somebody who you know cares about transparency. Uh, you know, this is and according to uh, officers who were present in that meeting, he said something kind of offhandedly, maybe jokingly it was interpreted as as you know or are you going to file a a complaint against me now um after after that demonstration so uh yes that, apparently the answer was yes the answer was yes um indeed and uh he the the sergeant uh filed not only a tort claim but also an hr uh complaint against him yikes oh that is gruesome and kind of problematic yeah, I mean, he didn't face any criminal charges, not because they decided he didn't do anything wrong, but because allegedly there weren't uh, there wasn't enough evidence to pursue the case. So that's Officer Lee. But I wanted to spare a few minutes today to talk about the other two candidates. A bunch of outlets have reported on this now. Um, and I remember some of the details myself uh, from back in the day, but credit to PG reporter Megan Guza for summarizing all this so well uh, late last week. We'll have a link in the show notes. These two local candidates, they're both from here or worked here? Yeah. So Jason Lando and Larry Scarato. We'll start with Larry. Um, Didn't he also have to step down? Like Lee was asked to resign, but wasn't um, Larry actually fired? Ooh. Right. Yeah. After only six months on the job. Um, but what we know about the reasoning for that, I don't know. It's wrong and he shouldn't have expressed himself this way. But I think maybe, maybe. It's not as bad as it looks. Like, maybe he's got kind of the spirit of the right thing to do. I don't know. I, I, I'll i never know the full truth of it. But, like, on its face, it doesn't seem as bad. Okay. This sounds interesting. Um, I don't know about this. So what actually happened? So Larry Scarato was an assistant chief in Pittsburgh. He retired in 2018. Then he went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in June of 2021. He started in August. He had this big emphasis on hiring, particularly candidates of color. I mean, that... Sounds like a good thing. It could be. It should be. Of the first 15 promotions that he made, six were women or minorities. Um, and he said that those promotions were based purely on merit. So what's the problem? His his fellow officers alleged that it was squishier. I guess he openly talked about giving more credence to officers of color. And another time when considering a promotion, uh, Officer Scarato allegedly said which one, meaning which candidate, is blacker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't really say that. You cannot say that. Um, again, like, I don't know. So by February, he was out. Um, he recently sued the city of Fort Lauderdale, saying that he was wrongfully terminated and that this whole thing has really damaged his reputation. So that's one candidate. <laughs> what about the other? Yeah. So the other one is Jason Lando. Um, he spent more than two decades with Pittsburgh um, and for years led the Zone 5 station. I interviewed him a bunch when he was up there. He did narcotics and vice and led a bunch of 
what I heard were really great police community relations initiatives, um, even in high schools. He left Pittsburgh in 2021. There was a thing about him having a side business that the Bureau did not approve uh, with a couple other officers, but it was all related to police stuff anyway. Um, So he got a job to be the police chief in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, And the PG reports that the mayor there has been really complimentary about Lando, um, called his work outstanding, especially this crisis car initiative. Have y'all heard about that? Oh, yeah. It's like unmarked. Like they have mental health care workers who help respond to emergencies, you know, like when it's not crime or something that someone needs just like medical help. Yeah, exactly. And it's a small pilot in a much smaller community. But according to reports, it seems to be working. Advocates here in Pittsburgh have suggested similar stuff for years. And I know for a while there was talk of doing something here, too. I'm not sure where that landed. Like if Pittsburgh police are doing it now, they haven't been broadcasting it or maybe it just hasn't risen to the top of the news cycle. Um, Something to look into for sure. So you said, you know, Lando did this work in a smaller community You know, do you think any of these three candidates are ready for a city like Pittsburgh? You know, I heard Rich Lord on WESA's The Confluence yesterday morning talking about his latest deep dive for public source into police accountability statistics. And this came up. You know, we partnered here at CityCast with him on that deep dive last year. Um, He truly did most of the reporting magic behind the scenes. Um, (laughs) But he put it really well. He said that this new person will inherit a more stable policing environment, a new union contract, so maybe less contentious, and also sort of a shrinking bureau, like Mm. just over retirements and other things. Our Bureau of Police has been getting smaller and smaller. Um, But unfortunately, a challenge, uh, this growing perception of lawlessness. Oh, meaning like what's happening downtown that people like feel unsafe? And Southside and others, yeah. Um, So now we wait. Mayor Ganey promised 10 days ago now that he'd name that new person in two weeks. Um, And a spokesperson, Maria, said a few days ago that they were still vetting candidates. The clock is ticking. KDK did say yesterday that uh, no one has been offered the job yet. There had been rumors, at least, that it had already been offered to Lee. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe today. (laughs) And if you (laughs) missed our conversation about the Boise candidate Ryan Lee or those police accountability and discipline statistics, uh, we'll have a link to both in the show notes. Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theater have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org. Use code CITYCAST, all one word, for $5 off. So Passover ended last night. I celebrated by shoving a huge hunk of bread in my face the moment <laughs> the sun went down. As you should. As I as I always do year after year. Also, side note, but uh, going back to last week's episode about how Catholics were asking the Pittsburgh Diocese for special dispensation to eat hot dogs <laughs> at the Pirates home opener, even though it was Good Friday— I just want to point out, like, I wasn't calling up the rabbis and asking if I could have special permission to eat a hot dog bun at the home opener, (laughs) even though it was Pesach. Like, I just (laughs) deal. You know, I thought about this later, but do hot dogs really even count as meat? I mean, (laughs) I mean, if if we're getting into the logistics, Catholics say that they eat the body of Christ. So. (laughs) 
Well, anyway, um, even though Passover just ended, people are already talking about next Passover because apparently the first day of Passover 2024 falls on the same day as our presidential primary here in Pennsylvania. I was just reading about this in the Philadelphia Inquirer. I can't think that far ahead. (laughs) I think I've already been blocking out that we're entering what will inevitably be a two-year presidential election cycle. I just... None of us are looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah. So I know there are Jewish holidays like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur where you definitely wouldn't be going to the polls. Right. I, evangelical background. But I think it's because they're the holiest days of the year. Like mm-hmm. kind of the same way we wouldn't plan an election day, I guess, for Christmas or Easter. Is that true for Passover? Like will this affect people's ability to vote? So, yeah, for many observant Jews, the first and last few days of Passover have the same kind of restrictions that you have on Shabbat. So you can't drive, you can't work, you can't write or use electricity. So if all those things are prohibited, that essentially means you can't vote. And, you know, not all Jews follow these restrictions. Like my family doesn't, but many do. Um, And so this means that, you know, our next presidential primary, a really important election, falls on a day when many observant Jews can't vote. Even for people who don't follow those restrictions, though, like they still celebrate Passover and it just seems kind of crappy to have an election day on the same day as a religious holiday. Yeah. I mean, general PSA to government officials, please check all religious calendars before scheduling important days and events. Good note. But it's not like this is the first issue we've had with the date of our primary. Like, it falls so late every time. Mm-hmm. We're a major swing state, but by the time we're casting our ballots, the nominees are basically already decided. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't know. And don't get me started on the whole closed primary system. This Our process is infuriating. Yeah, and if we had a system where every state voted on the same day in March, we could avoid this whole fiasco. Well, and it's funny you should say that because this whole, like, scheduling debacle with Passover might just be what lawmakers need to finally move up Pennsylvania's primary date. So, like, separate from Passover, there's already been this legislative push to move our presidential primary from April 23rd, so late in the season, to March 19th. Two Philly lawmakers, Malcolm Kenyatta and Jared Solomon, um, reintroduced a bill about this in January. A similar one died last session. Kenyatta said that Pennsylvania will be a pivotal battleground state in 2024, and having the primary election well after many other states already have theirs makes our Commonwealth one of the last states in the nation to weigh in despite being a crucial swing state. I hear Kenyatta, and I also want my vote to matter, but I like it. Every state in the nation keeps having this fight about when to move up their primary and like we all just keep like leapfrogging each other. And at what (laughs) point are we all like voting the whole year before for a presidential election that follows like literally 12 months later? Like it drives me crazy. Yeah. And meanwhile, New Hampshire is just like holding on to its power and it's like death grip. And I get it, but it's just not like a diverse place and it's not indicative of the nation. But I also don't know what value it has to keep moving this further into the winter. I don't know the answer. It just all seems messy. Yeah, we just need to get on the same page here. Well, so long term, we might just need like a full refresh. But in terms of Pennsylvania's attempts to move things up, um, you know, you've got this legislative push and now you've got Jewish lawmakers. There's this newly formed Jewish legislative caucus um, that are calling to, you know, at least for 2024, reschedule the primary. And a spokesperson for uh, Governor Josh Shapiro, who himself is Jewish, 
told the Inquirer that he supports moving the primary next year to ensure that Jews observing Passover have, quote, every opportunity to exercise their right to vote. So I don't know, like, it's not going to solve maybe this larger nationwide problem, but maybe Passover will end up being this like funky loophole that lets us vote earlier (laughs) and have more of a say in who becomes the presidential nominee. That would be cool. But Megan, you mentioned something earlier uh, that holds people up from voting in our closed primary. Can you explain that what that means for people? Yeah, right. Sorry, y'all. That's the rule here in Pennsylvania where you can only vote for the ballot in the party that you're registered in. So if I'm a registered Republican, for example, I can only get that party's ballot in the spring. Same thing for Democrats, but because we're a swing state, a ton of people here are registered independent, which is a nice thought in theory. And in a lot of other states, you would be able to vote no problem. But here in Pennsylvania, a closed primary means that you are effectively disenfranchised because you can't participate in the primary at all. You know, I don't know that anyone's like really turning to Texas as the model for voting rights in the U.S. But, you know, when I lived there, uh, there were open primaries and it really makes like coming back here to this closed system seem even more absurd. And we don't have early voting either, which a lot of other states do. Um, so we're really making it as difficult as possible by having it in a, on a workday when a lot of people can't participate. And now on a religious holiday, too. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, man. Well, thanks for informing people about that. So going back to Passover, if the date doesn't change, what does that mean for observant Jews who want to vote? Yeah. So, I mean, Megan, like you mentioned, we don't have early voting, but as of the 2020 presidential But as of the 2020 presidential election, we do have no excuse mail voting. So anyone in the state can vote by mail. You don't need to have a specific reason. So, you know, observant Jews could cast their ballots that way. And then they would also be eligible for absentee ballots because they're unable to go to their polling place on Election Day. So it's not like they couldn't vote at all. They're not being like totally disenfranchised. But of course, the options are a lot more limited. Um, And I should note that Pennsylvania isn't the only state grappling with this. Um, Maryland, Delaware, and Rhode Island also have their primaries on this date, on the first day of Passover. Um, And there's already legislation in Maryland to challenge the date because of Passover. The state's first Orthodox lawmaker actually introduced this bill. For them. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Maryland and Pennsylvania, they both have some of the largest Jewish populations in the U.S. Wow. Um, I found one report that says Jews make up about 3% of the electorate in Pennsylvania. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But if the date does change, you know, thank your Jewish neighbor for making sure Pennsylvania doesn't get passed over oh. when it comes to choosing a presidential nominee. Sorry, well I apologize. No, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we don't have to worry about it this year, at least. Uh, remember to get out there and vote at the polls May 16th for our local primary. And don't think it doesn't matter just because it's not a presidential election. Yes. Um, the county executive's race primary will effectively decide who represents us for the next four years. So don't sleep on it. It's important. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So friends. You may have heard another train derailed in our region last week. 
this time right here in Pittsburgh in the West End. Another Norfolk Southern train. Yep, the same company that derailed in East Palestine in February. That one spilled hazardous chemicals into the water. People had to evacuate. I mean, thankfully, this time around, it wasn't catastrophic. These cars were empty, the ones on the West End. It was, what, five of them? So no one was injured. Um, No chemicals were released. Nothing like that. Right. But, I mean, it still does not inspire a lot of confidence. Like, after that first derailment in Ohio, we've all been kind of bracing ourselves for something like that to happen in Pittsburgh. It really kind of exposed how vulnerable we are here. Do you all remember when the train derailed the double stacks in the south side and it spilled diapers everywhere? <laughs> I mean, again, it's 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 not funny, but it was a little funny just because it wasn't like nobody got hurt. And, you know, you have like I think at the time it was the chief of staff for the mayor who just had a baby standing in the middle of all these boxes of diapers. And everybody's like, oh, Dan, do you want to grab some? And he's like, oh. this is not funny. Stop making fun of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was you know, the least of our concern. Like, that is the most benign (laughs) thing that could derail, but still. But it was a huge mess. It took forever for East Carson Street to get cleaned up again. Um, If you missed it back in February, we did a whole episode about what caused the Ohio train derailment and how worried we should be, maybe need to be. I don't know. We'll drop a link to that in our show notes. Right. Experts say that if a derailment like the one in Ohio happened in Pittsburgh, it could impact more than 170,000 residents. That's well over half our city. Yeah. And like you said, Mallory, this latest derailment just seems like further proof that someone needs to be regulating these trains. You know, Norfolk Southern, their accident rate has gone up in recent years. Um, I actually saw this statistic, uh, WESA reported it, there were more than 1,100 derailments in the last year. All Norfolk Southern or or overall? And nationwide, too. Right. Oh, yeah. All over the U.S. So railroad unions have said working conditions are rough. There aren't enough workers or safety measures in place to ensure more accidents like this won't happen. Yeah. And I remember, you know, our guest from that episode back in February, Christina Marusic, um, she's an environmental health reporter. She talked about how the Trump administration, you know, scaled back some of our safety regulations around railroads. Um, so it's made it, you know, that much more difficult to be able to do something. A lot of it even has to do with like inspections, for example, like just like literally having just like minutes to check the entire safety, like of the mm. exterior of a train car, like it's not enough time. And people have been raising that alarm for a long time. Yeah. And now there's actually proposed federal legislation that would supposedly strengthen safety regulations. There's a bipartisan bill in the Senate that has backing from Bob Casey and John Fetterman. and an, Our senators. Yes. And another one in the House that's co-sponsored by Pittsburgh's own Summer Lee. And now she's renewing her call to pass this legislation after the derailment happened last weekend. So I know there are these proposals, but I'm not super familiar with them. Like what exactly does uh, – sorry – Um, So I'm not super familiar with the proposed legislation. Like, what exactly does it call for? Yeah. So the bill Summer Lee's backing, it's called Decreasing Emergency Railroad Accident Instances Locally. (laughs) You're kidding me. Derail? Yes. it's. She's calling it derail. Sorry, I... I'm impressed with that. I give her some points. <laughs> no, it's a great acronym. <laughs> I'm ashamed. <laughs> Chris Deluzio, who represents part of Beaver County, introduced the bill, and it would expand which trains are categorized as 
high hazard flammable trains. AKA bomb trains. I hate that phrase. I know. I hate it. I know. It's so terrible, but it kind of brings that sense of emergency that I think we really need to like talk about with this. Um, So right now, trains are only considered Mm. high hazard if they have hazardous materials, you know, like flammable liquid or gas in 20 consecutive train cars or 35 cars in total. But the legislation would change that threshold so that if even one train car is filled with toxic chemicals, it's considered high hazard. I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. But like, what does it actually mean if a train gets labeled high hazard? Like what? How is it treated differently? I love your skepticism, Mallory. (laughs) No, it's good. Well, slapping a label on something doesn't mean it accomplishes anything. You shouldn't have been so optimistic. (laughs) Right. It means that they have to follow extra safety measures like traveling at lower speeds and installing updated brakes. Um, And they have to let states know when they'll be passing through. So, like, give officials a heads up. Shouldn't we have updated brakes all the time? Isn't (laughs) that sort of vital to the train? I know. Apparently not if you're carrying diapers. (laughs) just toxic chemicals but the thing about letting states know if you're passing through like i remember hearing this wild detail um i remember in the initial coverage hearing this wild detail after the ohio derailment that like the heat of the train car melted off these placards that said what kind of materials were inside and so first responders like initially didn't have that information didn't know what kind of like chemicals they were dealing with um that but that if But that if Ohio officials had known the train was passing through, if they'd been given that heads up, um, they would have had those details. Yeah, exactly. And the legislation would also require rail carriers to make a report to the National Response Center and state and local officials within 24 hours after a train carrying toxic chemicals derails. Again, like, shouldn't that be like a no brainer? Like, don't you call emergency officials if anything goes off the track? It has one job. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's like what's wild to me is some of this stuff. It's just kind of shocking to me that it's not already the law. Well, y'all know what else Big Railroad is keeping from us here in Pittsburgh, don't you? What? A zip line across the Ohio River. <laughs> oh, not this what? again. <laughs> Do y'all remember this proposal? It was from like, I don't know, 2018, 19, something like that. Briefly. I mean, it's a dream, but I don't know if it could ever happen. So they, Mallory, you were out of town. I don't know if you saw any headlines about this. I'm not familiar with this story. <laughs> there was supposed to be this esplanade um, in the Chateau neighborhood of the north side. It was going to be kind of an extension of the casino complex. They wanted to have like a wave pool, hotels, entertainment, all this stuff. Some of that is still coming, but not exactly. Yeah, not exactly how they initially proposed it. Um, And it could be really pretty. Like the mock-ups for it were nice. It seems like it's not really a fit for the neighborhood, but that's a separate problem. Um, But somebody proposed putting a zip line from the West End Overlook across the Ohio River on and like it would connect around like that casino esplanade area. That would be very fun. I think it looks fun as heck. But, you know, the problem is that because our railroad laws were set in the 19th century and they're like completely ironclad, they own all vertical space over the rail line. Oh, man. So the guy has to get permission from the railroad to string a line well over it, like way over it. But he couldn't do it. It was the Pittsburgh Zipline Company. And I remember, like, I talked to him about it. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And this is still early in his progress. But he was like, I can't get him to answer the phone. Do you have any suggestions? And I was like, oh, bud, you're never going to get them to answer the phone. <laughs> uh, I took my dad out to Hocking Hills one time to do ziplining. And he loved it. But it would be so much fun if we could do it over our rivers. Sorry, dad. You're not going to get the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Mallory Falk, A.K. L. Moomin, Francesca DeBecco, and me, Megan Harris. Our music is, of course, by Benji. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Talk to y'all soon. Y'all are ridiculous. I'm so sorry. <laughs>